Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. The story is my truth. The story is my only happiness. I believe the story. I praise the story. story. Our bodies are already dead. The story must be told. Hi, and welcome to The Story Must Be Told. I'm Brother Reed. I'm Pastor Andrew. And I'm Sister Callista. We share stories every week. Stories of our congregation, of life, of punishment, of (laughs) insanity. We are now your family, and your family is now nothing. Our bodies are already dead. I I have to say it again. The story takes all, breaks all, and then raises us like puppies eager for the story's milky treat. Raise us like a pup, raise us to be old, eager for thy milk, the story must be told, the story must be told, the story must be told. The story must be told every Tuesday on the last podcast network. Yep. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? This is Ben Kissel. Yes, that's right. The same Ben Kissel that you've been listening to for, I guess, 10 years now. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're having a good day. Uh, We've got a bunch of stuff to get to. Travis Morningstar is also with me, so you might hear him chirp, 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 chirp up. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Tweet, tweet, tweet up at some point during the show. We have a bunch of stuff to get to. We're going to talk about Donald Trump and his national emergency. What will be upheld? What won't be upheld? Uh, it's really interesting if you look at the precedents. Obviously, we have uh, Harry Truman trying to get some steel mills over there uh, back in the day, and that was a decline. They said, no, you can't do it. But then we also have the National Emergency Act, which uh, this could fall under. So it's going to be really interesting uh, to see what ends up happening with the Donald Trump and this uh, what has been coined as hashtag fake emergency. We're also going to talk a little bit about uh, Robert Mueller and what he has recommended for Paul Manafort. Let's just say it's not a light sentence. And we also want to talk about Andrew McCabe. 
and uh, his recent comments, were they taken out of context? Were they not taken out of context? Of course, those comments were regarding Donald Trump and what conservatives would call the deep state. Did they want to invoke the 25th Amendment to oust Donald Trump from office? Well, Andrew McCabe hinted uh, that that indeed was the case, but now he has said that his words are being taken out of context. So we will dive slightly deeper into that story a little bit later on. But first, I want to get to the, and of course we're going to talk about Amazon as well. Because that was a crazy story, and it's going to be, I have, I have a lot of thoughts on it, um, and I think it's going to be interesting. So, but first, I want to talk about this story. It hasn't gotten a lot of press, but this is, in my personal opinion, the best news of the week. I know we don't often hear good news, and this comes out of New York State, and it was actually, it involves Governor Cuomo. So, th- look at that. Hell, it's gotten a little bit colder today because I am complimenting Governor Cuomo. He signed a Child Victims Act, and it becomes law as of now. So justice delayed will no longer be justice denied for survivors of child sexual abuse and molestation in New York. Um, So what this law does, and of course, that is amazing. You know, when I was growing up taking care of the foster kids, the, not the vast majority, but a large percentage of those kids were molested. And you could see what happened, uh, what that does to a person. It destroys lives. Yeah. I mean, it just destroys It destroys childhoods. With a destroyed childhood, you have to rebuild. And it makes your life a hell of a lot more difficult than it should have to be. And these people, these predators are just absolutely disgusting. I remember one time in some bizarre case this was the first two foster kids we have i won't tell their names but it was the first two foster kids we had the boy was older and he was just violently sexually assaulted by his father and somehow i have no idea how the hell this happened but his father got visitation rights so we would take um this boy this damaged young man maybe nine years old eight years old maybe nine and uh he would like hang out in a room with his dad under supervision but like I shook his dad's hand at one point and I just remember being like this and I was maybe 12 and I was like this is disgusting I could feel like the negative nasty energy coming off oozing off of this disgusting person so these people are monsters these child sexual predators are absolute monsters and the fact that we I you know as I grow up I'm like what what judge this kid literally had an STDs given to him by his father what judge allows father visitation, paternal visitation of a child that he has done this to. Absolutely disgusting. So Governor Cuomo signed the Child Victims Act into law. This was this past Thursday, extending the statute of limitations so sexual abuse victims in the state have more time to seek charges or sue their tormentors. This is according to Governor Cuomo. He says, this bill brings justice to people who were abused and rights the wrongs that went unacknowledged and unpunished for too long. Now, of course, who would be opposing this bill? You know, you would think you would be like, this should be pretty bipartisan. 100% of people should say, we're not on the side of child sexual predators. Well, you know, there's a couple of institutions. The uh, Catholic Church, uh, Archbishop Timothy Dolan out here, who, by the way, was more upset with this bill than he was the much more controversial to the Catholic Church abortion bill that Governor Cuomo signed here in New York State. He was more upset with this 
than he was a key tenant of the Catholic faith, which is pro-life. And, of course, the Hasidic community has come out strongly against it. So we have religious, the religious groups of the, of the state are the ones who are adamantly opposed to extending the statute of limitations for children who were violently assaulted at the hands of people in power like priests or perhaps family members. And that's just that that should just tell you a little bit about who thinks this scandal is going to affect who they think this scandal is going to affect no, the let, most. It, that, isn't that creepy? Let's that not just be too ch- hasty. Let's you know oh. before we give children any more rights. I mean, what, what, oh my God! I mean, it was like Timothy Dolan's. Like this is on. This is unbelievable. You gotta go. Just read. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna pull up Timothy Dolan. What he had to say about this. Cardinal Dolan, in an essay published uh, in the Daily News, charged that Governor Cuomo's Child Victims Act legislation included in his state budget proposal would protect public institutions at the expense of private ones like the church. A contention Cuomo legislative bill sponsors and many survivors and advocates vehemently deny. So basically... Dolan is upset that this isn't creating a one-year window to revive old civil cases against um, public schools and municipalities. So basically what he wants to have happen is if they're going to go down, then everyone must go down. And I suppose that's totally fine. Sure. But the but the idea uh, that Timothy Dolan is somehow pretending to be against this bill because it doesn't go far enough is absolutely <laughs> ludicrous. So Well, the, this, also, this also coincides with the Vatican defrocking a, uh, a car. Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. He yes, just got defrocked. Uh, he was actually the Archbishop of Washington D.C. for six years. Wonderful. And he just got defrocked for abusing young boys in uh, two uh, two dioceses. And uh, I think some adults as well. It yeah, was yeah, pretty yeah, nasty some, some stuff. Twenty year olds and. Yes. So the signing of this bill, this is according to Cuomo. He says, by signing this bill, we are saying nobody is above the law, that the cloak of authority is not impenetrable, and that if you violate the law, we will find out and you will be punished. Um, Of course, Cuomo is like extremely um, above the law at this point in New York State, but that is what it is. Um, So victims. So what does this mean? Victims now have until age 55 to file civil lawsuits and can seek criminal charges until 28 as opposed to 23. The The law will allow some victims to bring their abusers to court to seek damages, and it includes a one-year look-back window that will allow others who weren't able to sue to file fresh claims. The measure faced stiff opposition from the GOP, who controlled the state Senate for more than a decade, and the Catholic Church, which argued it would be financially it would financially harm any group that cares for children. It's going to financially brilliant spin there by the Catholic Church. Survivors cheered last month as the bill finally came to the vote after Democrats took control of the Senate and broke down in tears as it became law. This is according to one uh, victim of sexual abuse, a survivor, Catherine Robb. She says, today means that things in New York are a little bit more right than wrong. She goes on to say, and children will be safer and that victims have a right to justice after sex, after suffering sexual abuse um, as a child at the hands of her older brother. Rob became a lawyer and a victim advocate. The governor signed the legislation over a decade in the making in the Lower Manhattan newsroom of the Daily News, applauding the newspaper for exposing uh, all this disgusting controversy and um, and uh, the molestation. 
All right, so there you go. That's the Child Victims Act, 10 years in the making. I think it's a good thing that it was signed, don't you think? Oh, yeah, and it, it just highlights how scary a powerful hold that uh, some organizations have on restricting well, we the s- rights of children and like keeping power over them. We saw what happened in Pennsylvania, of course, when uh, they were allowed to actually go after this. The uh, the DA out there in, in, uh, in PA opened up the investigation into child sexual abuse within the Catholic Church, and it poured out. I mean, my God, Pennsylvania was just, it was full of stories of child sexual abuse at the hands of priests. So I'm assuming uh, coming up here in the very near future, the news cycle is going to be filled with similar reports. We already heard, as Travis mentioned, uh, the Pope defrocking an individual who was formerly uh, there in Washington, D.C., Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., So we're going to start hearing a lot more stories and a lot more information is going to come to light. It is going to be disgusting. If the Catholic Church wants to survive this, and they probably will, it's still the biggest religion in the world as far as uh, as far as I know, as far as, uh, you know, these sort of like. What do you what do you call these? What do you call the Catholic Church has got more followers than anything, huh? I I don't know, but I it's I definitely know. one of the of, more like powerful they got religious a lot organizations power. in the world. They're doing a lot of stuff. If you watch the Da Vinci Code, anyway, I know the Da Vinci Code. I love the Da Vinci. But Code. But just this week, Pope Francis at least acknowledged uh, thirty six hundred <clears throat> molestation cases okay. in the Vatican since nineteen forty seven, which is I'm sure just scratching the surface. Oh of, yeah, buddy. But it's it's a good sign that Francis is actually taking this stuff seriously now. And, and he drives a little car. He drives the smallest car. So get ready for that, New York State and, uh, and the nation as a whole. It is going to get uh, nasty, but it's something that has to be done uh, because it is just, as we know, with these kinds of predators, as we cover them regularly on last podcast, on the left, they go to positions where they get power. They go to positions where... They can be around what they want to be around uh, for their own sexual purposes. And uh, it's got to stop. If the Catholic Church is going to survive this, um, they need to take this on now as opposed to just take it on now. It's going to be nasty um, and it's going to uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of hurt feelings on all sides, I suppose. Um, But it is what it is. If the Catholic Church wants to purge all this disgusting behavior, all the people that have acted so horribly, they've got to do it if they want to survive. That's my personal Ben Kissel hot take. All right, let's move on. Is that pretty much that, that covers that, that right? Covers that that yeah. covers that. Covers that. And of course, and now we'll, we don't have to ever think about child sexual abuse ever again. That's right. No, now we are going to start <laughs> thinking about it at nauseum. Um, but that's good, man. I, I got to get these people out of there, destroying lives. Not right. All right, let's just do a smaller story here, just really quick. So prosecutors, uh, they have um, recommended Paul Manafort serve at least 19 years in prison. Prosecutors working in the special counsel Robert Mueller's office are recommending a federal judge in Virginia sentence President Trump's former campaign chairman Paul Manafort to at least 19 years in prison, Mueller's office is also recommending a fine range of fifty thousand to twenty-four million. So that's quite a window there. Sure, from fifty thousand to twenty-four million, a term of supervised release of up to five years, restitution in the amount of twenty-four million, and forfeiture in the amount of four point four million. So that is the definition of throwing the book at someone. That is. Uh, Definitely the harshest sentence brought down so far. 
by Mueller and his team. Of course, Manafort, one of those dudes who said, I'm going to court. Uh, I want my day in court. And without a doubt, he is playing for a presidential pardon, and it's extremely possible that he ends up getting one. So we'll see what the federal judge ends up doing, but 19 years and 50000 all the way up to $24 million bucks in, uh, in restitution. So my God, that is, uh, that's the most recent update on that. When it comes to, this is according to, uh, this is according to the prosecutors, this is what they wrote in a filing. And when his foreign income stream dissipated in 2015, he chose to engage in a series of, of bank frauds in the United States to maintain his extravagant lifestyle at the expense of various financial institutions. Manafort chose to do this for no other reason than greed, evidencing his belief that the law does not apply to him. Manafort solicited numerous professionals and others to reap his ill-gotten gains. The sentence in this case must take into account the gravity of his conduct and serve to both specifically deter Manafort and those who would commit a similar series of crimes. Uh, so it, it is a hell of a deterrent. I mean, I wouldn't even know how to begin committing the crimes that Paul Manafort committed um, because I don't, Manafort, you know, I don't talk to a lot of Russians or international um, war criminals uh, or, you know, dictators. I don't have access to them. So it has deterred me from committing crimes that I have no ability to possibly ever do. Like, Trump was so close to this person during his campaign. Like, what is Trump's response to one of his closest associates getting 24 years in prison? Is he like, I, you know, I didn't know. I, I, I he was such a nice guy. I, I would kind of, no, I could he, never have told. I could never tell that he would. He uh, defends he, Manafort because Manafort stood his ground and said, "Donnie, I love you forever, Donnie." And uh, so Donald Trump actually he doesn't say anything bad about Paul Manafort. He calls the whole thing a sham, a whole thing a witch hunt. And uh, he doesn't believe that the Mueller investigation should exist. Therefore, he doesn't believe uh, that this um, sentence means anything. So I do 100% believe Paul Manafort will be pardoned. And there is a little bit of political theater happening there or uh, legal theater happening there because I just don't see Trump leaving him in prison. <laughs> um, all right. So let's just, let's stay with uh, let's stay with the investigation a little bit. So this is a dude. His name is he's a former acting FBI director named Andrew McCabe. This is what he said on Friday that he that comments he made regarding a potential use of the 25th Amendment to oust President Trump have been taken out of context and misrepresented uh, misrepresented. <laughs> oh, my goodness. My brain is gone. At no time. This is according to spokeswoman melissa schwartz this is what she says in a statement so you know it's got to be true she says at no time did mr mckay participate in any extended discussions about the use of the 25th amendment nor is he aware of any such discussions mr mccabe has merely confirmed a discussion that initially was reported now of course this is big news specifically on the conservative side because this is the this is the deep state that they've been talking about the Justice Department does seem to be politicized, as we saw with James Comey doing God knows what the hell he thought he was doing uh, in 2016, just kind of freewheeling it, freeballing it a little bit with the election. Um, so this does confirm some of those concerns that perhaps the FBI has become hyper politicized. It also so that's your more conservative argument It's like, well, this con this confirms that uh, these dudes. Uh, and some gals are in there trying to oust a duly elected president, right? Right. Um, but then you also have the flip side of that where it's like, 
they may have had some reasonable concerns that this person isn't capable of being president of the United States. So perhaps they just kind of tossed around these ideas about like, what if he really, I mean, because it was so, it is still uncertain because he does act in such bizarre ways, but I'm beginning to sort of understand how Trump acts a little bit more. So it, it's not coming out as so like improvised and like sporadic or erratic because he, he's just like any other human being. He has his, he has his little like, bag of tricks he's his, got his little bag of tricks and he's got his little like program he's got a patter yeah he's got a, he's got a little pattern you know yeah, just his involves um talking about women bound and gagged with uh with well, duct tape i well that's he watches a lot of sicario <laughs> so he is he's busy watching a lot of programs so when he first got in there it was like who the hell is this guy what is happening when's he gonna when's he going to nuke everything i mean he's in twitter wars calling Kim Jong-un rocket man. We're talking about very serious things, nuclear war. Um, so I do understand from that from that perspective also, like a, a couple of dudes, bunch of people, some chicks in the room. They've been there for 20 years, 30 years. They know how government works. And they're like, this dude might be extremely dangerous. Um, what would it take? What would he have to do for us to invoke the 25th Amendment? I don't necessarily think there's anything that wrong with having that conversation when it comes to Donald Trump. I do understand, though, we can't have our Justice Department become hyper-politicized and start ousting people that are elected by the American people, whether you like them or you don't like them. But the, I think the conversation was simply begun because if you look at Donald Trump's Twitter, um, it is freaking horrifying. For example, when Amy Klobuchar announced her bid for uh, for president. She's going to be running now out of Minnesota, of course. She's talking about global warming. Donald Trump tweets out a, another situation where someone's talking about global warming in the snow, whatever. That's a paraphrase, the, the, um, the sentiment. It is ridiculous that we have a president who could just tweet such... I mean, there's so many ridiculous things that he tweets that could have real foreign policy ramifications. So I understand why they would be like, what the hell is going on? Like, who is this new breed of a president? So, you know, both sides of that, they didn't happen. I think if it would happen, that would have been a legal nightmare. He would still be in office. He would simply be going through the courts. It would be, I don't want to use the word unprecedented because that word is like making me vomit. It, but it would be exceptionally unique um, for something like that to happen. So this is according to CBS News' Scott Pelley, who interviewed McCabe for 60 minutes. How long is that show? <laughs> uh, we have fun here. Uh, this is what uh, McCabe told him on Thursday. He says, this is what Pelly said McCabe told him. He said, there were meetings at the Justice Department at which it was discussed whether the vice president and a majority of the cabinet could be brought together to remove the president of the United States under the 25th Amendment. Pelly goes on to say, and the highest levels of American law enforcement were trying to figure out what to do with the president. Trump blasted McCabe following Pelly's remarks on CBS this morning. This is according to uh, Donald Trump, a tweet, of course. That's the way our grown-up president likes to talk in the comment section of the internet. Um, this is what he had to say. Disgraced FBI acting director Andrew McCabe pretends to be, quote, a poor little angel. When in fact, he was a big part of the crooked Hillary scandal and the Russian hoax. A puppet for leaking, James Comey. All right, so no love lost between the Justice Department and Donald Trump. Interesting, gets to confirm. You know, that's the way this stuff works. All of these things are sort of, um, you know, they're all sort of Warshak tests for your political beliefs. 
So if you're on the left, you're like, proof that Donald Trump was extremely dangerous. Probably is still extremely dangerous. Uh, although maybe he's settling down a little. I, I still don't know. I remember really being worried that Donald Trump was just going to drop a Big Mac on the nuclear bomb uh, on on the red button. Absolutely. And then, you know, and then be like, okay, well, what caused it? And they'd be like, well, it was it was a uh, a, a Burger King hamburger. Um, of course, it's a lot more complex than that. I understand. It's more than that. But that does prove that like people were like, what the hell are we going to do with this dude? He's kind of baddie. Um, look at his tweets. And then, of course, uh, you also have the conservative side being like proof evidence, big, the biggest evidence out there that indeed there was a deep state desire to get rid of Donald John Trump. OK, well, let's continue on here uh, for the record. They did not get rid of him. I don't think having that conversation proves that there is some unbelievable bias with this, I guess, hyper liberal Justice Department. I don't know. Like maybe they are just maybe they just love maybe what's really liberal. The Grateful Dead. Is that what the kids are listening to? I don't believe that nonsense. I just don't see that he's a, he's, as a possibility that they want to just out. Most of these people are Republicans. Andrew <laughs> McCabe being one of them. And of course, Donald Trump is a it's a whole another kind of he's a game. cause for concern. That's all like that. He's just yeah. a very so, strange, erratic person who is now the commander in chief. So I, yeah. I, it's not like a strange arg- or a conversation to have. No, I don't my- think. But of course, you know, the way the way that everything gets blown out of proportion hyper magnetized in these echo chambers on all sides it just gives them a, it does give the right a little bit of a little fuel for their for their for their trump train you know they're a little a little food for their bellies um and i understand that we don't want a justice department that ever undermines the will of the american people i also understand that who came into office was someone that had uh, cause, we had a lot of cause for concern and i think a lot of folks had a lot of cause for concern so anyway, that's that story. I don't think it was a problem they had the the conversation. I also think it's he he did not pass the threshold evidently of um of them attempting to invoke the 25th amendment. And if they did, that would have been that would have been a real nightmare. Well, let's stick in the Mueller world to some degree. We have a new attorney general. His name is William Barr, but what's old is new again because of course he was the uh AG before He has now become the most important person in America when it comes to determining the fate of special counsel Robert Mueller's final report. Barr, who was sworn in this week as the United States AG, will make uh, make the call about who gets a copy of the report inside the leak prone Trump administration. He will decide how hard it is for Congress to tap Mueller's work for its own probes. Barr could even try to block access to court materials by outsiders, which means all told no figure will have such singular influence over the fallout from Mueller's final report, including how much damage it may do to the president himself. So there's a lot of people speculating that perhaps Barr might act in a more beneficial way towards the president, given his large document that he, you know, just unannounced decided to send out uh, to everyone, saying that the president really doesn't have to testify, can't be subpoenaed, a whole series of different things that gave the president a little bit more power than some people would like to have the uh, like the president to have in this kind of situation regarding the Mueller probe. But we also have to remember these dudes all know each other. So there is some concern that William Barr will, um, because of the past, because we know where he stands on, uh, can you subpoena a sitting president, these kinds of things. He's made that known, uh, much like Alan Dershowitz has made that known and stuff like that. 
the question, so he might, so, you know, people are a little bit concerned that he might err on the side of protecting uh, Donald Trump. But we also have to remember William Barr and Robert Mueller are close friends. They have, they go to, we literally go to like each other's kids, like sporting games. And they're like buddies, like hardcore friends, <laughs> which I don't think that Donald Trump knew when he uh, nominated William Barr to become the new AG. And there are some stories that Donald Trump was really upset when he found out. I don't know. I mean, Donald Trump seems to be upset about everything. So I really have no clue. Um, but he is, um, you know, he is basically a as traditional you know, elections have consequences, as I said, and he's about as traditional a candidate as you could get. Any Republican, Jeb Bush would probably nominate William Barr, you know, so I don't see him acting in a hyper political. I mean, obviously, this is all political, but I don't see him like not disseminating the Mueller report. Right. I, I just I don't because there's going to be. I, well, who knows? Uh, maybe I'm just being too optimistic. I, no, but I, I just don't see him being like flat so, out disregarding. If, if Whitaker was there, for example, the the dude, the interim, yeah, the, the human thumb. Yes, the human thumb who, you know, told Jerry Nadler that his time was up. Which honestly, that was kind of fun. I don't care. They can all yell at each other, as far as I'm concerned. I, I like the British Parliament. I watch that quite regularly. British Parliament is so fun. They face each other in an adversarial position. The dude's in the middle. He's gaveling. Everyone's screaming at each other. You can see the spit flying. That's fun. Um, but if Whitaker was there, for example, I firmly believe that Whitaker would have acted politically in favor of Donald Trump and been yeah. like, we're not even we're not showing this to anyone. I don't see William Barr going that far. Maybe he doesn't go as far as uh, the Democrats would like him to go. But we're going to see this report. Yeah, I, that's I think we're going to see this report. How much will it be redacted? Well, that's a whole nother thing. You know, it's oftentimes they release these things and we get just one, we get 10% of what the damn document says and we learn absolutely nothing. And then the American people are left again just with our, our heads in the sand because they refuse to give us any information. So hopefully it's not completely redacted. But you know who Whitaker reminds me of? Who's that? Uh, Mr. X from Resident Evil 2, the tyrant. Oh my God, dude. If you have not played Resident Evil 2, they remade it for <laughs> P. I played it on my PS4. And it is single-handedly the greatest remake I have ever played. In I was my terrified. Life. I I just finished it actually. Oh, it's so good. So during his confirmation hearing, Barr pledged that he would provide Congress with at least some information, which could just again be ten percent of the information about Mueller's findings. This is what he had to say. He said, "I also believe it is very important that the public and Congress be informed of the results." Of the special counsel's work. He said during his opening remarks to the Senate Judiciary Committee, this was on January 15th, for that reason, my goal will be to provide as much transparency as I can consistent with the law. So hopefully um, that will all come out. So let's move on here out of the Mueller investigation and let's talk a little bit about Donald Trump and the national emergency. Now, this is quite fascinating. There are, uh, there's a lot to get to here because, of course, I think it's safe to say we don't really have a national emergency on the southern border. Uh, and the person who said that we don't really have it is Donald Trump himself, but he said he didn't have to do it. But let's talk about the law here. So I mentioned Harry Truman earlier. So this was in Youngstown, the name of this lawsuit, when Harry Truman tried to do a national emergency. This is in Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company versus Sawyer. Now, this was decided in 1952. Oh, the beautiful year of 1952. The Supreme Court overturned 
overturned President Harry Truman's proclamation seizing privately owned steel mills to preempt a national steelworker strike during the Korean War. But Truman didn't have congressional authority to declare a national emergency. He relied on inherent powers, which were not spelled out in the Constitution. So that's why it was said, hey, bro, Truman, no, dude, you way expanded the powers of the presidency here. No can do. But now we have a time in 1976 where Congress passed the National Emergencies Act, which permits the president to declare a national emergency when he, I'm just going to say, or she, (laughs) hashtag woke, hashtag Ben, hashtag Kissel. He or she considers considers it appropriate appropriate to do so the nea again that's the national emergency act does not provide any specific emergency authorities it relies on emergency authorities provided in other statutes the declaration must specifically identify the authorities that is activating the president must specify the provisions of law under which he intends to act or she Thank you. Transmit the declaration to Congress immediately and publish it to the Federal Register and maintain a file and index of orders, rules, and regulations issued pursuant to the declaration and provide reports to Congress on expenditures directly attributed to the declaration. Previous presidents have declared 27 national emergencies uh, that were still in effect, some still in effect as of February 1st, 2019. Um, So who knows? Trump's proclamation declares that it is necessary to increase the use of military forces at the border and to invoke the Emergency Military Construction Authority, which will provide funding for the constitution of the border wall, his famous border wall. So this is already being fought in the courts. So we already have one lawsuit brought against Donald Trump. And I just have to say this. If you are a Republican and uh, you are supporting this, And it's possible, again, given the 76 NEA Act, it's possible that this is allowed to stand. Um, First of all, he's also taking funds for this wall. He's reallocating funds, which is technically the job of Congress, of course, but from, you know, drug drug enforcement Mm -hmm. agencies, from uh, immigration enforcement agencies. It's really ironic. Disaster victims. From disaster relief uh, funds. So he's taking all of the he's cobbling together this money from things that actually do some good on uh you know can do some good when it comes to even his agenda when it comes to combating illegal migration into this country all to fulfill a political promise because of course you know this is the era we're living in 2019 of course you know cronkite he, he what was it nixon was like oh if we lost cronkite we lost we lost the middle of america or something yeah and now we have if uh trump is like oh i lost ann coulter I've lost my base. And it does seem like he has lost Ann Coulter. And I'm not going to give her too much of my breath. I've met Ann Coulter a couple of times. The only thing that she talked to me about was building her new house in the Hamptons. And I'm sure that that house was built by undocumented workers. Um, You know, so she's just a super wealthy chick out there manipulating, trying to sell books and manipulating a a portion of the public that uh, takes her words as credible And, uh, you know, she's just she's a good huckster. She's a good huckster. They've been around for a long time and she's selling her books and she's continues. She will continue to shill her products um, until the day she dies.
Uh, but anyway, so he she is really upset with Donald Trump, saying the only national emergency is that Donald Trump is an idiot. That's what she said. <laughs> um, and then some people were like, oh, I agree with Ann Coulter for the first time. And I'm like, yeah, but the reason that she thinks he's an idiot is because he couldn't get like the entire wall. He couldn't get $26 billion for the wall yeah. uh, in general. It's not because she's siding with you politically or anything like that. And of course, the political fallout of this, who knows what it's going to be. But the opinion polls are, you know, about 56% of Americans disapprove of the wall. The other percentage approve of the wall. It's not really a political winner. It's just for his base. And people in his base may see this as he's fighting for us. He's fighting to get the wall. But you have to be very careful if you're a Republican because this sets a precedent. Obviously, it has been done in the past, but this sets a precedent. If When the Democrat does get it, at some point, if it's not 2020, at some point a Democrat will be in there. And it's, it's very possible it could be in 2020. But this sets a really dangerous precedent for uh, just for the nation as a whole and for the office. So now you have a Democrat in there and you're a Republican. Next thing you know, what's a real national emergency? Gun violence, um, climate change, what some could argue climate change. Uh, these, these are scientifically proven problems. Um, this is something we see on a regular basis, specifically when it comes to gun violence in this country. You can go through the stats. We have more gun violence than any other place in the world. Go through the stats. You could theoretically declare a national emergency banning assault rifles. Um, God knows what else. Banning, uh, you know, the uh, the hollow uh, point bullets. They could do that. Oh, no. This, re- this reminds me. Uh, but it's honestly, you got to go through the legislative process. We don't want to give the president all of this. Sure. You know, and the fact that Donald Trump is just like, I'm going to do it. the r- He's doing it the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, first of all, he had $26 billion for the wall in a first budget that he should have just freaking signed if he really wanted the wall. And then, of course, you know, they gave him $1.4 billion or something like that in the, uh, in the um, bill that he's about to sign to make sure that the government stays open. But this reminds me of when Harry Reid uh, enacted the nuclear option. Now, the nuclear option is a parliamentary procedure that allows the United States Senate to override a rule, specifically the 60-vote rule, to close debate by a simple majority of 51 votes rather than the two-thirds super majority normally required to amend the rules. Now, this was done under Harry Reid, of course, a Democrat. And, of course, as we've seen over the years, who has benefited greatly from the nuclear option? The Republican Party. So you got to be, you got to just remember these folks aren't going to be in office forever. Your party won't be in office forever. And if a Democrat does roll in there and says, well, frick, screw it, man. The new president is, uh, I can call a national emergency over things that actually are emergencies, you know, such as gun violence. It, it, then it's, uh, you know, then next thing you know, you're going to be bitching and you're going to be complaining <laughs> yeah. about the president has too much power. I can't believe they're doing this power grab. All this stuff. You're going to be calling for that. And it happened under your watch. Mitch McConnell he will be fully to blame for this. There have been some Republicans that have come out and been like, yo, bro, no, this is way too far. No can do, dude. No can do. But Mitch McConnell is like, he's going to declare a national emergency. He's happy he got the spending bill passed. And he's just going to be able to go along with it. It's really remarkable to see people put blinders on for political reasons this big. I mean, th- this is like a full-on bird box, don't look, can't see, understand what's going on. Uh, when it comes to Donald Trump expanding uh, the powers of the executive branch by circumventing the the checks and balances that this country was based on. Yeah. Of I mean, course, the, the, he does have no constitutional power. This is the, the framers did put this in. There is no constitutional power, uh, you know, for these executive 
declarations of emergency. Yeah. So he doesn't have it that way. But again, with the with the NEA, uh, I think he's going to use that as uh, sort of a principle to his argument that he can do this. And it'll be definitely fought about in the courts. Travis, you were going to say? Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is every president for the past couple of terms has expanded the power of the presidency. And this is just like really busting open the Pandora's box of what a uh, what a president can do and it only creates trouble for both parties. Absolutely. Because no. they once once you get in by whatever narrow margin because there's only two parties, that other party gets to do what they want and more and more the president will have the power to just disregard your party. It really is it's scary but it's also um a symptom of a larger disease that is the gridlock, to, to uh, quote uh, my General Stockdale, my favorite VP in history, Ross Perot's VP from 92, it's the gridlock in, in, in Washington. That's what all this is about. Government isn't functioning right because, of course, we have ridiculous gerrymandering, redistricting, all this nonsense where politicians, and this was a great, great quote, I forget who said it, maybe it was Elizabeth Warren, where politicians choose their constituents as opposed to constituents choosing their politicians. Mm -hmm. So this is really emblematic of the larger broken Washington. You know, that's what's happening here. So now the president is like, I can't get anything done. Of course, he's not politically savvy enough to actually whip the votes that he would need to get this done. And so he's going about with this power grab. And it really is just another reminder that our politics in this country need massive reform. And I think starting off with just Make it a grid. Make it a grid when it comes to voting districts and stop with all these ridiculous looking districts that really, again, it's politicians choosing their constituents and undermining the will of the American people. And, uh, and that has got to change because it is horrendous. Um, all right. Lastly, Amazon pulls out of planned New York City headquarters. So this is this is pretty wild. OK. So Amazon, obviously, they, they were promising they were going to bring 25,000 jobs uh, over to Long Island City. They're creating this Amazon playground, this Amazon, like it's like a university campus, and it changes the landscape of the area. Without a doubt, look at what happened in Seattle. But Amazon has recently pulled out. They said, we we're not going to be able to work with the so-called progressives here in New York City. But uh, I got to say... I've thought a lot about this because I also understand, you know, it could create some jobs, janitors, receptionists, elevator repairmen. But what Amazon headquarters actually would do is destroy affordable housing and small businesses in Long Island City. It's like dropping a gentrification bomb on it Queens. It is. It really is. And so, but I, let's do both sides. So there are some people that are very upset that Long Island City. Um, is not going to be coming to New York. And this is what I have to say, and this is my most controversial statement of the day. Ben Kissel's most controversial statement of the day. I'm going to call this corporate migration. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I would rather have some 6,000 immigrants on the southern border who are seeking asylum because they need to come to a country to work and for safety. I would rather have them come to Long Island City than I would these corporate this corporate migration because the people that are upset about it sometimes you know that you sometimes you know that something good happened because the people that are upset about it are people who are like i i don't know like <laughs> so amazon's ditching of its queen's plan has left local business owners in a lurch and real estate brokers bracing for long island city's 
boom to go bust. Now, it's not so much the local business owners. I don't believe that's true. I think many of them are, are feeling a lot of relief. But after the news hit, we had an interest all over the place. This is according to uh, Lewis Adler, a broker with Real New York, said recalling Amazon's November announcement that it would build an, its 8 million square foot HQ2 campus. She says, now a lot of people aren't feeling as bullish about the numbers they can get going forward. Of course, of course, those numbers are called rent. That is rent. <laughs> um, Corcoran broker uh, Lawrence Renee Bennett said she was bracing for buyers looking to renegotiate home prices with Amazon now pulling out. That's not a conversation I've had yet, but I'm sure it's one that'll come up. Again, that's called rent. My heart, so, my heart breaks for these people. I know. Um, merchants got dollar signs in their eyes over the prospect of the retail giant bringing 25,000 jobs to the area, but now they are seeing those hopes dashed. When Amazon comes to a city, it really changes the face of that city. And if we want an example of that, let's go to Seattle. So this is what happened in Seattle. Amazon promised 50,000 jobs to the city. Uh, that's home to uh, its second North American headquarters. Critics say that hosting the company's headquarters isn't all it's cracked up to be. Uh, this is according to Trulia data. Shows the median four-bedroom home in Seattle now costs $847,000, up from $756,000 last year and $510,000 five years ago. So it's almost doubled. Since September, more than 200 U.S. cities have competed in a cutthroat bidding war for a chance to become the home for Amazon's second North American headquarters. This is what happened in Seattle. In Seattle, the home of Amazon's existing retailer uh, headquarters, the retailer has been blamed for astronomical heights in real estate costs, mm -hmm. traffic gridlock, rising homelessness, and other issues. Some call this phenomenon Armageddon. This is according to Newt Berger, who I love. Newt Berger, reporting live, uh, mostly about roller derby, which I think would be <laughs> exciting. Newt Berger, he's a journalist, a historian, and a Seattle native. This is what he had to say. He said, there are a lot of people in Seattle who are at the losing end of the prosperity that Amazon brings. He goes on to say, there has been a lot of displacement. Minority communities have largely been driven out of the city for less expensive suburbs, and competition for homes and rent has dramatically increased, contributing to the rising homeless population. Seattle has led the nation in housing price increases for 13 consecutive months with prices rising about twice as fast as the national average. So that's what Amazon does. And when I think about it, I understand when you think about this, maybe you're like, what the hell is going on with the progressives in New York? This is ridiculous. It's going to bring all these jobs. But you have to remember this city is quickly becoming San Francisco. Yes. And we cannot go down that path because it makes everything impossible. This city, the rents, you know, we have a great candidate who runs for mayor almost every year. The rent is too damn high or almost every yeah, four years. Love him. The, the rent is too damn high. And the rent is too damn high. And it's a serious issue. And we're seeing these businesses close down because of it. Amazon just comes. Everything goes up. And now we also have a situation where perhaps these people aren't here on the weekends. Maybe, you know, as we've seen with uh, what's going on with the massive amounts of high rises built all over Brooklyn specifically, no one's in them. No. They sell them to these Chinese corporations, Russian corporations, whatever. 
and no one is in them. So they're rising property value all over. They're raising property value all over, and no one is there to be able to afford the $7 slice of pizza. And then rents go up all around. It's just, it totally deflates the economy. That is, that I understand there's also some good things that would come with it. But I think for the most part, Amazon not coming here is a good thing. It Amazon doesn't give back to the community. It does it gets so much from the city and like the deal well, the deal for this, they would receive so much like uh tax credits and and just they are they get to skate by without paying a penny, but they don't give back to the community and it would just be havoc for people that don't reach that don't have a certain amount of income. So this is a big political loser for de Blasio, of course, Mayor de Blasio. And uh, and Governor Cuomo, obviously, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is getting a lot of heat or a lot of uh, attention for Amazon not coming here. But there's one guy who actually uh, probably played a larger role. Queens State Senator Michael Genarius, 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 uh, his nomination to a key committee set in motion the undoing of Amazon's Long Island City deal. And of course, he has kind of a beef uh, with Cuomo, as many politicians do. So Amazon will not be coming to Long Island City after all. And I also think this, it's not getting quite as much attention because this is just pure speculation. On my part, that's what I do. I think the recent press of Jeff Bezos, who's on the cover of the Daily News, cover of the New York Post, his sex were everywhere. I think he realized when you move to New York, life is a living hell. <laughs> like, you know, when you're if you're an athlete, like they literally like talk, I know like the Giants uh, and the Knicks and the and the Nets. I'm not sure if they talk to him um, or the Jets, whatever. They're like you have to be able to handle New York City media. Yeah. New York City media sucks. You do not get any. You are going to be trashed every single day in the papers. And I think Jeff Bezos also saw that and was like, so there are some politicians that don't want us there. Um, the majority of people actually, I'm, I'm on the losing side of this. My opinion is on the losing side of this. About 56% of Democrats want uh, the Amazon headquarters to come here. So I am, I, I do understand that. You know, So he's like, the politicians don't really want me there. Um, some do. Obviously, Cuomo and de Blasio would love him. And, and many, many, the vast majority of them do. But I also think he's like, the media is such a colossal pain in the ass. Why would I put myself through this? I'm the fifth richest man in the world now after my divorce. The divorce caused by the National Enquirer, like leaking all the videos and all or all the sex and all that stuff. So he already has a New York-based uh, newspaper company coming after him, ending his marriage. I mean, obviously, he ended his marriage by having an affair, but you know what I mean. And uh, then he's constantly on the cover of the papers. Not one good piece of press yet. Not one good piece. I think he's just like, screw it. Look, and it, if I was him, honestly, man, we travel all around this country. We go all over this country. Go to Gary, Indiana. Go to we, a place where literally Amazon, you can just make Gary, Indiana, Amazon, Disney World. We drove through it. It looks like Silent Hill. Like, it does. Take, no, it's, oh, it's horrible. It's like Take Chernobyl. advantage of that. Take advantage of the fact that you can like build your own like town. You can save Indiana. Go save Indiana. Uh, you know, no problem with that. Like, just it does not. It's it doesn't work here, in my personal opinion. Look, when I first moved to New York, I had to tape the um like the floor, the edges of my floor because cockroaches were coming through. Right, that's what you want. In my first year, and like I had to, I got through it, and then I finally live in some place better. He couldn't hack it in New York, so he had to go back to Virginia. So take your ball and leave. Like it's fine. It is, but it is, isn't it? Like, isn't it heartening that? 
community activists and local politicians could say no to some to basically Skynet. Well, what happened was the way that they unrolled this was so horrible. I mean, let's not forget Amazon is just. I mean, Amazon used to just deliver books. Okay, this well, whole thing yeah. started out of like it's just a cute little book delivery. That really that and that slowly destroyed uh, the publishing world. Okay, so he's destroyed the publishing world, and now he's just doing it like uh, Kirby, the old video game character. He's sucking it all in. He's destroying so much. He has destroyed so much industry under the guise of free enterprise, which is this is a whole nother thing. This is this is uh, late stage capitalism gone totally amok uh, and totally awry. It is um, so. It's like this, that's what he does. He it, it, Amazon destroys. So I, I have no problem with businesses coming here. Um, but the way that de Blasio and Cuomo like rolled this thing out, it was like, so we had a meeting with Jeff Bezos. We've decided to let a, we're decided he's going to bring a Long Island City Amazon headquarters. And everyone was like, but we didn't even talk about it. Like there was no conversation. They didn't have one community board. They didn't have one public hearing. Yeah. They didn't do, it's the same thing they did with the L train when I was running for office. Uh, in 2016, they did not have one public hearing where it's like, what do you think, public, who used the L train? What do you think, public, about Amazon headquarters taking, what, what how many square miles was it? I mean, it's just like a huge mile. Yeah. It's huge. huge. What do you think about that coming into your area? You're just making these massive changes to people's lives, destroying a, a society, um, ousting without a doubt. You would have thousands of people ousted from their homes. It's what happened with Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And they did give a lot of – they did try to incentivize a little bit. And I know there was one of my favorite bars, Freddy's Back Door. They actually got a really good deal. They got a buyout, all that stuff. So they did try to work around a little bit. But I know for a fact there were also a lot of people who were just like, peace. See you later. Your lease is up. Your rent is now doubled. I'm assuming you can't afford it. Peace out, uh, family of four. So you can't just just plop – a huge corporate headquarters in the middle of Long Island City and just be like, what happened? Like, well, of course we did. No, you got to. So I do think if this was handled in a more proactive way, in a more uh, pragmatic way, maybe it happens. Maybe it happens. But you got to tell people what the hell is going on. Stop leaving everyone in the dark um, and just having your backdoor meetings with probably the real estate industry and everything else. And then just tell us it's happening. We're like, when the, when the hell? What, what is all this nonsense? So anyway, that's, we saw it, we saw it with Raccoon City Umbrella Corporation I came in. Uh, they they did a bunch of shady stuff, zombies, and then bam, Raccoon City's taken off the map by a, a nuclear bomb. Next thing you know, buddy, started out as a simple, uh, homely pharmaceutical company, but then it became the creator of the T virus. Yep, I know a direct analog to our situation here in New York. Yep. That's right. And of course, you know, Amazon doesn't seem to have a problem with what they've done in Seattle. Uh, they said it's going to be a co-equal home to the one that is no, in Seattle. No, they were just Seattle. looking to replicate that whole thing. Yes, exactly. I guess that's pretty much it for today. Really interesting stuff this week. Uh, don't let it get you down too much. Um, and let me know what you think. You can. We don't have an email for this, but you can just email uh, the last podcast network at gmail.com email me your thoughts you know with the amazon thing i'll read some stuff maybe you think it's a good idea maybe you don't think it's a good idea let me know again i really do when it comes to this corporate migration i there's something there's something going on that i uh, that i just find um to be a little bit stifling to the everyday people i mean you know me i'm a, i'm a, i am a capitalist but i also we also have to have 
And, you know, and this is capitalism working right here. The people decided um, that it's not going to be good for us. And, uh, you know, we just can't have more folks moved out of their homes. And the fact that real estate agents are really upset because I was watching on the news, local news, which is always the best. The real estate agent was just like, oh, well, rents are probably going to go back to where, they were, <laughs> uh, to where they were in 2010, 2015. I'm like, good. It's the Vatican freaking out about the Child Victim Act. Good. Yes, it's exactly. Like, it's like, okay, who cares if that you're upset I'm about sorry, this, yes. this good thing that happened? I apologize for you, but yes. And again, the good news, the Child Victims Act, I think is going to be, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot to deal with. It's not going to be fun news. But I think there's uh, something good there. Next week, I'm going to have on this guy. He used to work with, um, I think I'm going to have him on. Maybe I won't. But I think I think it should work out. But he used to work for Rubio's campaign. And so I want to talk more. I want to get into the weeds of the Green New Deal next week, which honestly, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a first, it's a little starting point. Um, and I think that there's something ambitious about it. And, um, and you know, so that's, that's fine. It's every... First term Congress, whenever there's a first term um, Congress person, they always have the, the biggest vision first. Uh, and then from there, you can sort of, you know, you can kind of get a couple of ideas, cherry pick a few ideas that might uh, be a little bit more effective. But I want to talk about the Green New Deal. I want to talk about uh, the candidates that got in. So we'll do more of a deeper dive on on the folks that are coming up here for 2020. I mean, my God, if you look at the U.K., I was just talking to my friend Cena John about this. Cena John Gaznavi. Um, the UK has 60 days. Their elections, their whole cycle is 60 days. Right now, I think we are 730 days away <laughs> from the election. So we take uh, a quite a bit of time. So don't let it get in your brain too much right now. We haven't even had the first debate, which cannot wait for that to happen. That's going to be really, really exciting. Uh, and Julian Castro, by the way, just last, I've watched a couple of Julian Castro YouTube videos. He's very charming. I, yeah. I like Julian Castro. So we'll see. I, either way, I think the Dems have a lot of different options. And uh, I'm excited to keep keep the names coming. And let's have the Democratic Party find somebody viable um, so that we can uh, maybe perhaps the results of 2016 won't repeat themselves in 2020. All right, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Hail yourselves. I will talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org lost. 
I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes.